0: Hey guys, and welcome to the second episode of Elephant Parade Podcast. This is your host, Jessatoyan. And Prisha. Today, we are going to be discussing sustainability in the eyes of teens and also ethical culture.
1: So basically, a sustainable society in my lens is it has a capacity to carry um, the system that naturally can replenish faster than it depletes, right? Um, It has a system of rules and incentives that, you know, promote this replenishing um, and limits its depletion and pollution. And I think that kind of is sort of um, a Narnia for a lot of people now, because especially with that climate report that came out a few days ago, it's quite hard to see um, a future that is actually sustainable, you know, replenishing faster than it depletes. That got me thinking of this kind of, I guess, like social... um, intergenerational contract that the UN was talking about a while back. Um, And they talked about how to provide for present needs. We shouldn't compromise the ability of future generations to meet their needs, right, which is interesting, because it actually challenges our current expectations of the intergenerational contract that we you know, just laid out for ourselves, which is that we expect each new generation to be better off than their parents, right? That's something that we all kind of expect, you know? You're just like, I want my child to have a better life or you think that the next generation is more advanced, right? And I think a lot of people have placed pressure on themselves to meet
0: this expectation. In my eyes, sustainability basically looks like what you said, but it also includes workers' rights mm-hmm. and just a system where where whatever goods are being produced, not only do they not negatively affect the environment, but they also do not put workers' lives at risk and people are able to make livable wages. And I feel like in the conversation of sustainability and climate, you get a lot of, oh, what about the jobs? What about, et cetera, et cetera. And I think to correlate the UN report to also another big event that just happened this week um the passing of the infrastructure bill Mm -hmm. by the biden administration Mm -hmm. a subsidy of billions of dollars for fossil fuels literally two days after the u.n report was released i think it was three billion for Mm -hmm. fossil fuels or probably more um and the hundreds of billions that were supposed to go to um just green energy were taken out of the bill it was like the smaller package and all this to say is that like it's sort of like with the intergenerational contract like people were rejoicing like yes we got an infrastructure bill finally but at what cost it's scary people they get fair whenever these reports get released but reports have been getting released for a while now where it's like For me personally, it's not even a matter of fear anymore. And people need to realize it's not a matter of the future anymore. It's like, oh, in the future, this will happen. In the future, this will happen. No, Mm -hmm. climate impact is already happening Mm -hmm. now. Wildfires and extreme hurricanes, more frequent disasters are already happening now. Climate migration, people having to move and move out of coastal areas or climate extreme climate prone areas that's already happening now it's no longer a thing of the future this isn't like not to like be pessimistic but like forget future generations we need to worry about ourselves like Mm -hmm. this is something that's actively happening now people are already creating digital apps to touch to like digital weather apps to test air quality in the U S and not to talk of other places in the world where already you have widely used apps that tell you, yeah, you need a mask before, for air quality when you go outside. So with that note, to start off our episode, I just want to move into like, what we as teenagers can do because when you get these conversations about these bills and also these reports it's like we're not really equipped at our age to want to vote um just like make our own change corporate change even though the only power we have right now really is as consumers which is really what I want to get into in the bulk of this episode what can we as consumers since we're not voters or anything do to be more sustainable and Prisha I think I don't know if it made it to the episode but I think last episode you mentioned a statement and I want you to sort of talk about it right now There's this quote that gets floated around among Gen Z, especially whenever we talk about ethical consumption, where it's like, quote, opening quote, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism, close quote. So can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. um, So, yeah, I don't think it actually made into that episode because we started going off um, about capitalism too much at that point. But basically, I was trying to say that while we say that there are a lot of ethical, I guess, or moral um, irregularities that happen when we're buying, you know, if anything from clothing to cars, right, there's always um, a question of, is this actually ethical? Like, are the goods being produced with under like good conditions or the workers being treated right, is the world actually not harmed by, in the making of this, right? And it all comes down to, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism, right? Where we were like, if I buy this, right? It's more ethical than this, right? But in the end, if you don't have access to it, I was trying to iterate that, in the end you aren't making any ethical consumption because it's still under capitalism it's still um, in that system of where the rich only get richer and the poor stay poor right you're not changing the way that workers are being treated either way they're still being treated poorly if you're um Giving into that system, but but I think the main point after that was it's not justified to overconsume when you're talking about ethical consumption because um, I think <laughs> I think there's different levels of um, how much you can consume and what can be more ethical than the other, right? It doesn't justify overconsumption when I say. There is no ethical consumption over capitalism, right? There is a way to be more ethical than the other way that you could do something, right? But it's still um, not ethical under capitalism. I think that's what we're trying to get at.
0: And to give an example, just like, you know, as young people, it's not like we pay rent or most of us aren't like, buying like really really expensive things like but one thing that I can say that most people our age I feel like consume is one technology and then two just like um perhaps like clothing and also like accessories and Mm -hmm. like I already said technology and just other random things like that you would probably find on Amazon, which brings me to another thing. A lot of people in our generation claim that they're anti-rich, anti billionaire, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like we use Amazon. I use Amazon and most people our age, I feel like, use Amazon oh and God. other fast fashion brands too. Where it's like, okay, you have Amazon, which is just a huge corporation which is doing so many terrible things in the world. But, okay, they have small businesses on their platform. And Mm -hmm. that's another thing, too. You have this support small businesses, support small businesses, yet people buy from brands like Shein that are literally for stealing small business ideas. And then at the same time, you have okay, don't buy cheap, buy expensive, buy small businesses, buy brand. But then you have this um, epidemic of drop shipping. And I don't know if you know what drop shipping is, but it's basically when you have a small business or sometimes even big businesses do this, where they just take an item off of AliExpress or Shein or, you know, one of those fast express goods type websites and they just mark up the price they sell it in bulk
1: mm-hmm.
0: and these are small businesses and a lot of people our age too, too who are interested in starting their own they usually do that too they usually use the method of drop shipping where they buy in bulk on aliexpress and alibaba and then they sell it And it's like, is this the lesser of two evils? But we don't, because it's like, we don't live in a manufacturing-based society. We live consumer-based society. Say China or Indonesia, a lot of their economy comes from making goods and selling it. So in terms of labor ethics, it's like 90% of the time, everything that we consume isn't ethically made. But small business owners don't really have the means to... Have their own factory. So it's like you have a system that's cropping up where it's like a lot of people are starting their own small business and they're using this unethical method where their goods are being produced at cost cutting methods. With cost cutting methods, there's probably slave labor involved or the goods probably don't abide by environmental standards. But it's to the means to this like wealth distribution. The more small businesses, the more competition, the more places that we can buy things, maybe then in the wider market like and in the wider economy, the wealth will get distributed more evenly. But I I feel like the fueler behind this is that even though a lot of Gen Z says, eat the rich, anti-billionaire, anti-this, a lot of Gen Z, if you ask them, oh, do you want to be a millionaire? Yeah. Do you want to be a billionaire? Yeah like i remember last year in school they asked us that and i was like i was like no i don't want to be a billionaire but you know most people in general say yeah they want to be a billionaire but it's like we conceptualize that oh in order for a billionaire to exist they have to be taking advantage of probably thousands of people in order for something to be worth a billion dollars that market has to be monopolized whatever so cost cost effective abide abide by environmental standards it doesn't abide by labor standards like that's the only way that someone can amount to that amount of wealth yet like consciously we still have this drive to be rich like I still have a drive to be able to take care of myself and that has to do with the economy at large really because it's like we don't want to be poor but I don't know I feel like I just went on a tangent (laughs) (laughs) Risha what do you think
1: yeah no I know what you mean like I think first of all there's a Kind of just this romanticization, I guess, I don't want to use that word, of the billionaire lifestyle. But obviously, again, like you said, in order for you to be a billionaire, you're literally like leeching off all the hard work that the middle class has put into. Um, And I think it's one thing to say I wouldn't have enough money to be stable, but it's a totally different thing to realize that it's another thing wanting that lifestyle to be a billionaire um have enough money to spend on whatever you want and obviously it's this mentality that we were put into because we're under capitalism we We were still brainwashed by the quote-unquote brainwashing. This kind of like translates to how people view like certain items. So like there are two items in the market, for example, and you see like an electric car and a normal whatever you call it, like internal combustion car, whatever you call it, right? And you see that one has like an eco-friendly label on it, which is an electrical car, it has, it has a battery. Some people would argue that people should buy the electric car um, because, you know, it's more eco-friendly, right? And in the end, you would be releasing less carbon into the world. And a lot of people were, were like, if everyone in the upper class changed to electrical cars, you would be, you know, like drastically reducing emissions. That's very questionable because a lot of that, a lot of like the emissions in the world don't come from um, the top 1% cars, even though they have Half them of it. Cars.
0: huh? Half of it comes from the t- top
1: 1%. No, I'm not saying, I'm saying the cars.
0: Oh, oh. Okay. The
1: cars they own. No, yeah, yeah. I'm not, ta- they, everything else, yeah, comes from top 1%. I'm saying just their cars won't have an effective you know impact right people were arguing that that's how it would work right and but in the end right they're just forcing you to buy another thing it's not necessarily like um like a replacement of some sort like these companies aren't like changing the way their cars work, right? They're just introducing a new car on the market that's more eco-friendly, right? But let's forget about that and pretend that everyone in the top 1% buys that car, right? Um, essentially, the change isn't happening directly, directly into the carbon emissions. What's happening is companies are noticing more and more people wanting eco-friendly cars. and less internal combustion cars so um more companies that appeal to the top 10% would want to become more carbon neutral right and in the long haul that would make very much of a difference because like you said half of the carbon emissions come from right so even like other things like especially clothes like rich people obviously have more money they have more to spend so they'll buy more clothes and this goes into overconsumption, right they probably like i'm not saying rich people buy sheen because they have money to like actually spend on other things but in the end like it doesn't really matter what you're getting it from necessarily because like i'm just saying, for example, like, if you buy from some designer store and you bought, like, 50 things, or if you're, like, in the middle class and you, like, bought 50 things on sheen right, you're still over-consuming, and you're still putting all that waste at some point into the world. It's just creating textile dumps, right? Um, and in the end, again, like I said before, there is no ethical consumption under cap- capitalism, especially if it's over-consumption, right? Um, and I think one other thing about the upper class, this is kind of on a different topic, but it's about um, reinvestment and disinvestment. And I think I just thought of that because um, when we we're talking about how the upper class could potentially, or like billionaires and millionaires could actually like have an impact um, on sustainability and climate change. A lot of these people have like shares in multiple industries that are harming not not just the planet but just people in general. So um there is a trend of people wealthy investors selling their shares in industries. Um no and it's like known as disinvestment and um it, I think by doing that, obviously, like, major corporations are going to spend money if more and more people do it, right? But it's only if more and more people do it. Um, and just putting the money where it could actually potentially make a difference on other people, um, we're talking just about climate here, right? We're not talking about the people. And the people are what's more, what the most important thing here because that's why we care about climate at all it's about the people and the people who are suffering right now and who will suffer from it in the future so when we're talking about how much the upper class has a damage on everyone um, in the classes below them we're talking about statistics that say that the number of billionaires with business interests in the fossil fuel sector um, rising from 54 in 2010 to something like 88 in 2015 their size of fortunes expanding for over 200 billion to more than 300 billion just from and based off the fact that people are actually getting hurt from this it, it kind of throws you into the reality of how much they can throw their money around to change climate and hurt people yeah
0: I agree with most of what you said but I will differ on one thing with the upper class I feel like a lot of people mix up the upper class with celebrity culture and I feel like that's another thing that a lot of people are supposedly against but in reality they admire it because like we admire the life of celebrities but then at the same time it's like we despise and are disgusted by you know the amount of waste that they produce but Mm -hmm. at large you know there's a saying buy it nice or buy it twice I feel Mm -hmm. like when it comes to most of the textile waste you know Carbon emissions, I'm not saying that the upper class aren't responsible for, like, majority of carbon emissions, because they are, that is a fact. But when it comes to textile waste specifically, I do believe that the middle class and the lower class, well, actually, no, just the middle class Mm -hmm. really carries most of the weight in textile waste. Because, you know, when you have these really expensive pieces, they're not the ones ending up in... The middle of the ocean, if that makes sense. You know, like what's coming, what's ending up in the middle of the ocean are the hundreds of thousands of cheaply made pieces that, you know, factories overproduce because it's based on trends. And then once the trend goes away, they get rid of it. And I feel like with the greenwashing, that's what you have with up uh, with um, larger brands, but because everything is a monopoly, it's so funny because you would have a monopoly that ha- that owns multiple companies. and then one of the clothing companies is like, oh yeah, we're ethical, but it's like all other six companies in that monopoly are not. Like there's this one company for example, um what is it called it's the company that owns um fenty beauty mm-hmm. and i forgot what they're called i think they're called lvmh or something like that yeah that is what they o- what what they are and it's this huge like conglomerate um and it just owns a bunch of companies it owns louis vuitton it owns just a bunch of brands and Fenty can be like oh yeah we're black owned we're ethical we're this we're that and it's like you look at all the companies that are owned by LBMH which is literally practically like every designer like Hermes Dior just like everything like Makeup Forever like Da is under them I think and it's like do you not see what's going on here? Like, they will prop up a celebrity as, like, the face of a brand. Selena Gomez, too. Like, she has Rare Beauty. Just a bunch of celebrities who have their brands, their clothing brands, whatever. And because, like, subconsciously, when we associate a corporate with a person, in our mind, it's like, oh, it's more ethical, it's more sustainable. Fenty and some of these brands say, oh, yeah, we're sustainable, we're et cetera. And it's like, just the door over in Hermes, you have an alligator farm that is dedicated to luxury bags. So it's like, what is really happening here? And I know that's a high-end example because I feel like most listeners who are teenagers are probably like, okay, well, I don't buy those brands anyway. But it's like, still, the idea that, oh, you have this brand that is ethical and, and like, you know, greenwashed, like you said. But you have to realize that monopolies are also at play here, where it's, like, the big, huge corporation that is driving this brand is actually really just, like, playing puppet master. Because you have these celebrities where it's, like, okay, Rihanna. The reason why I bring up Rihanna is because when you were talking about billionaires and stuff... She just came to mind because you know she just became a billionaire and people were congratulating her and it's like um side eye like were are we saying eat the rates last week and this is really what it is because people like pick and choose their sustainability and their desire to you know overcome what is literally the biggest issue that we face like you can't ethically consume in in capitalism in general because of these monopolies as well because you have smaller well not even smaller medium-sized businesses where it's like you're under a conglomerate that probably sells that is making money off of you so that share thing doesn't matter because well it matters to a certain extent but the shares are confusing because LVMH is what is public. LVMH is what the company is. So you can't buy shares in Fenty and not also be supporting Hermes and their alligator farms, you know,
1: being the way we look at things, right. It's not going to happen by us changing our, where we put our money right away. Right. Especially for people in, the, that's not in the lower class too. It's not, Like, we don't really have a say in that, except for overconsumption, like I said, right? But even then, like, it's not going to start a radical revolution against capitalism, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And I I think that as a team, we should try to be um, resilient against the sustainability mindset that previous generations have set for us benefiting the select few of our generation but we also shouldn't have like a nervous breakdown over the future generations because I feel like a lot of people like we've been talking about they they get so like they just kind of divulge themselves into like what they can do right but in the end they're just getting into the system of capitalism and they're just like spending their money on things that, you know just make the situation worse um and I, I think that the most important thing that we should do is we should try to have um try to benefit the most people we can in the present and the future um, especially in the present the real change happens within our community and within individuals so i think Again, it's all about mindset, and as I was saying before about um, looking and looking for influencers, kind of promote um, a more sustainable lifestyle for you, right? Um, Maggie Jeng, um, her at is y e m a gs a gz oh my god i'm gonna do that again y-e-m-a-g-z um she actually promotes um slow fashion um which again it's basically not necessarily only small businesses but also um outfit repeating right which goes against the competitiveness um and the kind oh, of Yeah, celebrity culture, I guess, of wanting to be bigger, better, bolder, um, and just enjoying, you know, how you are living your life right now, which is pretty cool.
0: The whole idea of staying up to date, like, we need to realize that staying up to date isn't really a flex when the current date is in complete shambles and crises. So maybe we should go back to all sewing our own clothes and stuff <laughs> you know, A manufacturing society like I said yes not being more than a manufacturing society a, a individualistic uh, growing your own food sewing your own clothes <laughs> <laughs> but oh, obviously yes. that's not possible but mm-hmm. you know just general awareness of you know what is driving my materialistic want what is driving my goals what 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 foundation have I set my life on and how does that how, and how does questioning and criticizing that lead to me living a more sustainable life that's basically like what we want to what we talked about today and also you know by criticizing this what new expectations can I set for myself what new standards can I set for myself just by thinking about that even if you don't have the means to afford them just by taking the step to reflect on that you're already doing more than the next you know mindless consumer (laughs) yeah thank you for listening We hope you got something beneficial out of this. Um, Make sure to follow us on Instagram at elephant parade underscore. So you can stay up to date. We've already put some great content on there in terms of self care, which was our last episode's topic. If you didn't listen to it, go listen to it now after this. Um, And also mindful consumption info on our Instagram too. So go check that out. And follow us and subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to um, so you can get notified for our next episode coming in two weeks.